0: Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, the good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. With me today is Jan Amstert, founder and chief executive of Beans. Jan is an award-winning entrepreneur and was named one of London's most influential people in 2019 for his role in creating his startup, Beam, a software platform that enables communication with real people in augmented reality. Today, we're going to discuss leading one of the most innovative startups in the AR space today. Thank you for joining us today, Jan. Firstly, can you give our listeners a brief summary of the story and the idea behind Beam?
1: Hi, Pete. Thanks for having me on board. Um, my parents are Swiss. I was born in Switzerland. However, both my parents were the black sheep of their respective families and uh, wanted to live a very alternative uh, and pure naturalistic lifestyle. Uh, so they were, they were basically hippies when it was cool to be hippies in the 70s and 80s. And they found that Switzerland was not the most idyllic place to, to live a very light footprint and relaxed lifestyle. And, uh, so what they did is they airlifted me out as an infant, um, when I was six months old, uh, moved to Australia, uh, to a small, uh, hippie town called Byron Bay, bought a piece of land on a, uh, on a communal, um, project. So it was a community of 40 families who, all, who were all kind of living in this 200 hectare forest, building their own houses with you know, solar power, rainwater uh microfarm cows and chickens, the cow was the bane of my existence uh because uh I missed out on morning TV. What what that what that had for me as a kid was I was kind of the weird kid growing up and and the outsider and mushroom drink boy at school uh twenty five years before kombucha was cool. And although like I always kind of felt felt like I'd received the short end of a stick from having this this beautiful idyllic communal lifestyle. Um, because I was weird what it did give me was, um, this, this really intrinsic kind of value for communication. We didn't, we didn't have use for the telephone because, you know, these families were all in such close proximity. We'd have, you know, communal dinners and would go over and visit our neighbors uh, very often. Uh, and when I, when I was, um, when I was ready for my career, I wanted to rebel against that. And, and so I got a white collar job in commodities and uh just to prove that i could do what everyone else uh, aspired to do even as the outsider um but in commodities basically uh we all started to hide behind digital communication uh which was which was so much less effective than actually you know communicating with people uh in the same space and really like digging into uh, to how to build that relationship and and so on my commodities journey you know it was an amazing career and i i I had some amazing experiences uh, over over my my eight years in commodities. but I really wanted to find something that I could truly you know put my uh, comparable commodities, hundred hour uh, hundred hour week behind something that I could actually uh, be proud of as an individual. Uh, and that would align to my aspirations as a human being. Uh, and so for me that 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 concept of communication was was something that was big enough to to really kind of jump out of uh, an amazingly comfortable career. Into creating something that, you know, I, I can, I can tell my kids and my grandkids, uh, can talk about as being, you know, something that was you know, truly impressive in, 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 in creating, um, you know, something new in the world. And for me, that was, that was how do we envisage, you know, the next evolution of communication? Uh, and how do we create it? Uh, and that's, that's how Beam came about. And, and the premise was that, you know, 18 and a half years ago, uh, we invented Skype, and we're still using the same format. But there has to be that next evolution, the same way that we moved from cave paintings to Morse code, Morse code to telephone, telephone to video conferencing. We're always looking for that next credible evolution in, in communication. And so that's that's the entire kind of thesis behind Beam.
0: It's such a fascinating area. And one of the things that I'd encourage everyone to do is just check it out at beam.me because... Um, that will obviously give a very good I'm, – I'm a visual learner. <laughs> yeah, and so like, I, I, I like to see yeah, what does it actually look and feel like. But talk to the listeners in relation – and just kind of get that run through in relation to, as you say, Skype is a certain certain format, certain setup, video communication is. What's the difference with what you guys are creating? So that, that's a really great question, and we, we get asked that all the time. And uh, one of the important
1: uh, things to – to know with communication is that basically communication isn't just you know, words, voice, or even just facial expressions. Over thousands of years, we've uh, we've optimized ourselves as human beings for physical face-to-face communication, and our subconscious has all these triggers and all these all these uh, things that they need that it needs to uh, that it needs to evaluate in order to determine if if the communication is effective, if they're receiving the information correctly, if they trust the information, that's the key one. Uh, How do you build trust in a relationship? And that trust is built through communication. And um, digital communication to date, things like Skype and Zoom, haven't been able to provide the full rounded picture for our subconscious uh, to feel as satisfied as a physical physical meet and greet or a physical uh, interaction. Uh, And so, what Beam does is, we essentially we we live stream human being, just like you know you can live stream a human on Zoom. We live stream the entire human using just a, a mobile phone and using augmented reality. That human being is then spatially placed in the the physical space of whoever is watching or whoever is whoever is communicating. So, so basically. Visually, if we are subconscious, it looks like that human being is actually physically in your room, walking around, talking to you, and interacting with you. Uh, and so, it's essentially, what we've created is the next evolution to something like Zoom, video, Skype, Google Meets, uh, or all the other platforms that are out there that have been using that same video technology uh, for the past twenty years.
0: Absolutely fascinating, and and one of the big things that you know that I, I know that I've struggled probably with a bit as a leader is in the new world of agile or hybrid type working i don't like what to me feels like the limits of learning by osmosis of learning and seeing the whites in someone's eyes when you have that face-to-face in the flesh conversation yeah with all of its subtleties and nuances are you are you talking about something yan fundamentally you know deals with those issues you are you confident like what you've what you guys have created is 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 going to be kind of getting rid of those issues
1: absolutely and, and the, some of the studies we've done in partnership with uh, a couple of universities have, have, have shown exactly that um it's it's a psychological challenge that we have rather than a technological challenge although we, we solve it with tech uh it's very much a, a kind of the psychological aspects of what we do is front and center and it's really interesting because when everyone started working from home 2 years ago um everyone you know jumped over to video conferencing and we, we quickly realized that although it is effective as a substitute uh it's it's not something that we can fully lean on for interaction between like internally between our teams uh or even you know you know the places where communication where where, where the emotional currency of communication is most important and that emotional currency is, you know, for people like salespeople, uh, relationship managers, you know, that's yeah. where communication has to be the most effective because that's your objective. We quickly realized that you know uh, platforms like Zoom Video are, are great as a sub, but but not ideal um, uh, when you're trying to be as effective as possible for communication. And and that, that really resulted in uh, particularly a lot of you know traditional uh, traditional businesses and corps. You know, trying to force employees back to work, saying that like, Zoom was great, but now come back. Uh, and it's, it's not because, it's not because they're, um, they really need you in the office. It's because the technology that's been out there, that the, te- the technology that we've been using as society hasn't been up to scratch, uh, to, uh, to fully substitute in person face to face meetings. And so what, what we've been doing is, uh, is, essentially that step closer or that that giant leap closer i would say uh to um to solving that problem the the premise that we have though is that we we will never fully replicate in person face to face however what we will do is uh if you know for the for all of the other communication or for all the other interactions we can we can we can provide something that's much better than what we've been using um so yeah so that's that's basically our premise is that we we don't want to Create this like dystopian society where where everyone is stuck in their basement uh, and 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 not interacting at all. But you know we've we've received so much freedom uh, in the last two years uh, as individuals. You know why not create a solution that, that 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 makes that makes the the communication from from distance more effective.
0: Love it, yeah, absolutely love it. Now one of the things that I uh, love doing on on this podcast is because we speak to such an array of different leaders from the technology and life sciences industries i 'm always fascinated by the unknown, like in an industry like ours, which has been done a certain way, and there 's a lot of businesses out there doing similar stuff. <laughs> the reality is you guys are doing something that I 'm fascinated to hear the leadership angle of it. You guys are in Virgin snow, the path hasn't been trodden before, and I 'd be really interested to hear your perspective, Jan, on the unique leadership challenges that that represents.
1: That's that's a really deep question for me, uh, particularly. Um you know, my previous career I was in I was in commodities, it was a very straightforward industry. You purchase you know, a set amount of materials or like a mountain, mountain of of rocks, and then you chuck it into a boat and then you ship it off to, to various countries and they pay you for it. Uh however, you know, going from that to uh to creating a technology that hasn't existed yet in a market that instead of it being formed you kind of you're trying to pick the date trying to pick the kind of the bandwidth the period the year where that market will become mature enough for your product to be fully understood and for everyone to understand the the massive value of, of that product that was a really interesting challenge uh, for me as a founder it was it was trying to try trying to steer firstly a, a team and, and motivate a team uh, to create a product which doesn't exist into a market that we don't quite know when um, it's going to become mature enough for our product to be seen as this insane, new, valuable, incredibly uh, crazy technology that the world is going to adopt. And you know, this this year, about the last twelve months have been we, we've had these very heavy indicators that we're 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 seeing that market maturity happen, which is you know, amazing for the team uh, to finally see kind of the validation of all the hard work and. You know they've had kind of their blinders on for uh for quite a while, you know, keeping the faith that, you know, that the world will appreciate and see what we're doing. And, and so for me as a founder, that was that was a massive challenge. And and I, I would I would call myself less of kind of a commercial director or a CEO of the business uh, and more of kind of the futurist or the visionary. And so as opposed to selling a, a position in the business that says, you know, you know, this is this is your salary. This is where it will go. You know, this is the review. You know, if you work here for X years, you could get to there. It was more like, hey, this is my vision. And this is why I think it's exciting. Do you want to come with me on this journey? It's going to be an insane roller coaster. Uh, you probably learn much more, much faster than you have in any other industry because you're be wearing multiple hats. Uh, you'll be very fluid in your position. We'll be responding to the market. We'll be responding to the results of our research. And responding to the results of our our technology development to try and to try and maneuver this little spacecraft uh uh, to dock into the space station we don't know where that space station is going to be we don't know when we're going to dock but we will dock at some point if you if you keep the faith uh and so and so that was kind of the on the one side the way that i had to position it because because it was such an unknown uh and 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 such a kind of a moonshot uh concept that, uh, that it would have been disingenuous to say, look, you're going to, you're going to have a, you know, a, a stable, a stable trajectory here. And, um, and, you know, you, you won't be too stressed, but this is, this is kind of a, a place where you could retire in, you know, there, there was, there was no intention for, for my staff to retire in this business. It was like, let's shoot for the moon and, and you'll learn a, a huge amount on, on the way.
0: Yeah, nicely. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, Jan, yeah, there's uh, you've covered about four or five things there that I reckon I could have about four or five hours of conversations with you about. To be honest, but I was, I was, I was really interested to hear. Has the vision that you set out has that had to be adapted or amended in any way since you started, or have you been absolutely nope? This is what we set out to do originally. And this is still what we're doing. How's that worked? So the vision's been relatively the same, and I'll, I'll explain why.
1: Basically. The the vision for the business has always been how can we create that next evolution of communication uh, and it's going to look like this because we believe it's going to be inevitable uh because we as you know humanity have always iterated to the next step and the next step for communication is you know less box like this uh, and more um you know Star Wars Jedi Council but you know star star wars is is pegged to be in the future but <laughs> Our, our technology is much more high definition, a much better type of technology than what the Star Wars Jedi Council was using, and, and so so that was always the vision. Um, and we validated that through uh, through a lot of kind of research. But so that vision was it, it was and still is very very pinpoint, and that's kind of the North Star vision that the business has had. And it's it's very easy to uh, to kind of keep keep like shooting towards that North Star vision. Albeit you kind of imagine like a bowling alley, we put kind of guard rails on kind of either side with a kind of a set sort of like a, a set of fluctuation, a set of flexibility. Uh, because, you know, given the fact that this hasn't been done before, you always have to kind of maneuver around challenges. You have to maneuver around the results of, let's say we, we try and create some sort of a, a new technology in the software that we've been building and it doesn't quite go according to plan or we realize that the, the, the software uh, wouldn't actually work in kind of the future of where your consumers devices are going uh, for example. So you always kind of have to be very flexible and maneuvering your way through. Uh, it's, it's almost like a Ninja warrior course, uh, but you know, the, the finish is always that same button. Um, and, and so, so yeah, so we we've always had that same vision with, with very little deviation, but it's, it, it, we, we've had to be extremely, extremely flexible.
0: I'd be fascinated to hear, Jan, how you go about your hiring because one of the big things in the last 15 months, I think that every single person, bar none, <laughs> has talked about is the fact that hiring is bloody hard. <laughs> Probably the reason why businesses like us exist, but it's it's finding good talent, it's as competitive as it's ever been before. There's so much exciting uh, technological advances that are happening both in technology and the life sciences industries, the amount of buzz that the metaverse has created and how, you know, AR really seems to have been a beneficiary from the fact that that there's been so much chat, I'd imagine, around metaverse, but I'd be keen to hear your take on that. But before we get onto that really interesting area, how do you guys, you guys are trying to do something new. And when you're doing something new, it's not like you're, right, uh, we're building an F1 car. (laughs) We need someone that's built an F1 car before. Let's hire those people. You're doing something which is, as I mentioned, virgin snow. And you mentioned before about like, your version or interpretation of what the traditional job titles look and feel like, which is, a again, I'll probably have a couple of hours chat with you in relation to that. But how, how, how do you go about that hiring, uh, Jan? How do you make sure that you get the, the people the right capability but also the right outlook on things as well?
1: So I, I believe that uh, me and Beam as a team, we have an advantage over a lot of other companies. And I, I know a lot of other companies will probably say this, uh, because you always, you always you always love your baby more than the other babies out there, and your baby is the most picturesque one and, and the, and the <laughs> most unique one. Telling telling someone that you're building the comparable to the Star Wars Jedi Council, uh, and and creating uh, something that when when anyone, bar none, sees the technology for the first time, sees you pop up in their space and say, "Hey, how's it going?" Uh, their reaction to that is just this immense holy f this is incredible um and and that's that's the advantage that that i have in you know the first you know 10 minutes of the conversation uh with uh potential hires so we we generally get the people we're looking for uh just by selling the vision to begin with but i but i would kind of caveat by saying that we are a very tight team we're a team of about 20 and uh yes. what we've built within the team is we've built an amazing set of individuals that are extremely sold on the vision that are very loyal to the company that work, you know, that work towards, you know, the common goal of us, you know, cracking this, uh, this new tech and, and, and bring it to market. Um, so, so everyone is, everyone is sold into the vision and, and they, they want to see the success and they want to, they want to be able to say, you know, in, in five years from now, or in even in two years from now, when, you know, when, when everyone's talking about, Hey, let's jump on a bean call and instead of, Let's jump on a Zoom call. They want to be able to say, oh, yeah, I built that. You know, that, that, that was me and my team. And so uh, using that as leverage uh, and getting that motivation from, from potential hires has been exceedingly um, efficient and effective for us to find the people we're looking for. You know, me as a CEO, you know, I'll have you know 10, 10 plus people in my LinkedIn you know, messages inbox uh, sending me CVs saying, I saw what you did on the news uh, would you consider yeah so so we, we've always kind of found found the people we've been looking for uh, in that aspect uh, and and the team has been incredibly incredibly motivated and w- when we do hire uh, we we put a very heavy weighting on obviously we're looking for the right cvs we put a very heavy weighting on you know what what's the motivation of this individual um, over the next you know three to five years uh do they want uh to be in an incredibly tight-knit team and do they want to really like put their put their energy behind an incredible vision that, you know, that that's, that's maybe more, you know, you may be more passionate about that than, than, than joining, you know, a Salesforce plugin uh, company or, you know, uh, some other business, which is, which is more stable, much drier, but you, you, know, you're not super excited to talk about that on the weekend to your friends or, you know, when, when, when your when your family you know asks about your job, they're not saying, Oh, how was work this week? They're, they're saying like, yeah, you know, what's new? I'm I'm super excited. You know, wh- when's the new release coming of Beam? Like, t- tell me all the exciting research you're doing. You know that, that that's kind of how we want our employees uh, to fit into our team. With
0: so. well, one of the, one of the things, Jan, I was really interested to ask you at some stage, is that you have quite clearly had a an unconventional, non typical upbringing. Yeah. And one of the things I was interested to ask you about is: has there been any advantages or has, has there been any ways that you lead that reflect that non-convention? I'd be fascinated to hear if you know that you do things in a certain way or have certain approaches simply because of that.
1: Uh, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to be honest. Because uh, I'm I'm not like your you know, traditional CEO. Um, I didn't uh, get a degree in in uh, business or commerce. Like I, there's this kind of startup saying of you know. Basically, when you decide to jump off that startup, startup cliff, uh, you basically jump off the cliff and try and build something that can fly before you hit the ground. <laughs> um, and, and that's very much been the case for me, um, as a CEO. Um, it, it's very, very different dynamics to the commodities industry. They're, you know, one of the biggest motivators, uh, for team coherence and for motivation uh in in teams and commodities is you know simply your paycheck uh and and the bonus you receive from from performance. Um I, I know very few commodities traders that that say I love the smell of coal or I love I love I love touching iron ore. Um, yeah the, the biggest motivators are generally um uh you know the paycheck. And uh and so so trying to lead from from that experience that I had into an experience where You know, you're trying to build community and cohesion, and and and, and, you know, positive working environment. So yeah, there's there's positives and negatives, and I think I think every CEO out there will kind of identify you know where their strengths lie and where their weaknesses lie, and if you can hire in to to hire over your weaknesses as quickly as possible, (laughs) yeah. Then then you know, hopefully that's one of your best traits as a leader is is identifying your weaknesses and identifying that you have them and that uh you shouldn't hide them. Uh you should, you know, you know, lay them out for everyone to see and and make sure those gaps are filled as quickly as possible. Something that was that was a big challenge for me to do quickly, you know, given we were kind of bootstrapped to begin with. So I made them made a lot of mistakes along the way. I tend not to call them mistakes. I call them kind of potentials for learning uh yeah. and, and doing better. You know, we're all we're all kind of building an aeroplane um uh what well torpedoing torpedoing yeah. off a cliff um in 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 everyone's businesses, you know
0: and it's not the easiest thing Ian is it i think it's one of those things that's incredibly easy to state and i've 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 repeated what you just said there on many 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 occasions um i think that famous quote of smart people don't win or lose they win or learn <laughs> because yeah. every single time you make a mistake actually it's just a, it's another great learn and i think one of the ultimate jobs in leaders is to be able to create an environment of trust that absolutely people know and are almost encouraged to fail and find their own way of doing things by failing. Because otherwise, if they constantly worry about their job and they're constantly, oh, I'm going to get booted out or whatever it may be, then you're just really going to stifle an individual's ability to be able to grow and learn that way. Um, That was one of the things I was, normally I ask at the end, but it's too opportune a time not to ask about it now yeah. Because one of the toughest things I remember, you know, startup mode, all hands to the pump, let's go, go, go one of the things that I definitely wish I'd have done years and years ago is is uh, take my own professional development way more seriously than I did. Not that I wasn't serious about my work, but I wish I'd have been had my current head on. You know, I'm going to be 40 sadly late this year, but like all these things, I wish I'd have been in that, wow, this is how actual development and, and, and moving forwards looks like. How have, you, how have you gone about that in your career? What, have you found any particular methodologies that really work for you? So, so for me, I, I know that I don't know a lot
1: and anyone who thinks they know a lot probably don't. Uh, and, and so, uh, it's always been a huge, a huge, le- my entire life has been a massive learning experience. Like the, 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 my biggest trait, I think is my inquisitiveness, um, my ability to, to realize that there's so much out there to learn. And, uh, it, it definitely has been. A huge, a huge you know, kind of parabolic curve of, of trying to, trying to immerse myself as much as possible in, uh, in the places where I can absorb that, that knowledge or that experience in order to make my, my business a success. Cause at the end of the day, you know, I, I gave up a, a very stable and, and very lucrative career, uh, to live like, to live like almost a student for, for a couple of years to, 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 uh, until this like business really has taken off. And so every minute of your day is kind of focused on how do I crack this problem? How do I crack this problem of success? Uh, because complacency doesn't work in, in, uh, a startup, especially not a frontier technology startup. Uh, where we are trying to crack multiple, multiple problems. You know, you're trying to crack the market, you're trying to crack the technology, the research, um, your positioning, um, everything. There's no, there's no blueprint. Uh, and so, uh, for me, uh, very early on, um, I raised some money for the business uh, and uh, I raised with a, a relatively you know, sizable group of uh, angel investors, uh, strategically uh, angel investors in certain industries or certain positions in their careers uh, that I could lean very heavily on. Um, so so I, had, I have an amazing, amazing network of very experienced investors who are ex-CEOs of global companies, you know, chief operating officers of certain banks ex-legal counsels to to you know A-list celebrities, uh people with access to sports and knowledge of sports, you know, I put an nba player on my cap table. And and so having that that network of experienced uh individuals who are you know who have you know 20 plus years on on top of you know my career trajectory has been has been an amazing kind of sponge for me to to really like heavily lean on uh for advice. Uh for them to kind of fact check me and, and, and keep me in check for, you know, for this, you know, this visionary guy saying like, let's shoot for the moon. Like, hold up. You, ha- you haven't you have put the boosters on the rocket yet. Um, and, and so, so that's been really good. And, and also kind of in, in personal life, you know, I have a, I have a lot of, a lot of people that, that, that are very good at the things I'm not good at. Uh, and so, so leaning on them heavily in, in, in terms of being able to, being able to kind of 80 uh, 20, you know, I like lean on kind of Tim Ferriss's mentality of, if you if you're trying to solve a problem, find 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 a way to do it um, that takes twenty percent of the time, and you get eighty percent of the way there. And leaning heavily on your network, and 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 being very open about your deficits. But um, that's something that's that's been really valuable for me, particularly as a sole founder, um, to have have an amazing network through investors and also through through my peers to keep bettering myself in in, in my deficits or or, or some deficits. Are, you know, a, a, so deficient that you're like, well, I'm going to just hand that off
0: completely. <laughs> yeah. Would, would you say that's what great leadership looks like to you? Because we were having a conversation last week about, you know, there's solid leadership, there's good leadership, and then there's great leadership. What, what, what do you say great leadership looks like? I would say there's probably not many people
1: that are great leaders out there. Um, if, if you think you're a great leader, you still got, you still got more to learn. Like leadership is such a fluid thing. I, I, I wouldn't really know. I think it's, uh, great leadership is knowing that you always have more space to improve. Um, and, and just, it, it's like a, they always say practice makes perfect, but that that's a, that's a completely false, false statement. Practice makes improvement. Um, and, and so you can never be perfect cause you can always better yourself. Um, and so if you can identify that as a leader, I think that's, that's what gets you on track to be, to be a, a good leader. But yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, there, there's many great leaders out there and, and every leader has, has deficiencies. You look at you know some of the, uh, the the founders of you know the biggest companies in the world. You know, look at look at someone like Elon Musk. Is he a great leader? Debatable. Is he doing really well at what he's doing in the business? Absolutely. Uh, is he the perfect CEO? Probably not. And so, so yeah, I think I think the key the, the key for me is just just identifying that like if you can keep bettering yourself, uh, keep listening to your team. Your, your team is the, often the best funnel um uh for that you know, listen to the things they're not saying instead of the things they are saying or both actually listen to, listen to both uh but pay attention to the things that the team aren't saying uh or, or, the, or the results uh of of what happens within within your business so yeah i i would say uh, if someone asked me who is a great leader i'd say there's a lot of good leaders out there but um I, i'm i'm nowhere near kind of anywhere close to being a great leader it's just you know, if you can, if you can just improve every single day, then then you're on the right, on, on the right track. So,
0: absolutely, yeah. Continual improvement and just striving to be better and better. And and and, and a bit I try and say to the guys as well, yeah, is like, can we enjoy it as we do it? Because <laughs> sometimes it can get really serious. Really often, it's like, can we have a bit of a laugh and a bit of an enjoyment of each other's company type thing whilst whilst we're going through this journey together? Because you're absolutely right. There'll be ups and downs in any business, and I think ultimately, as long as um yeah, you know, probably the role of a CEO is to do that expectation management. There's going to be some t- tough times, there's going to be some good times, but to prepare for for the whole ride, and we, we you know we won't go you know, too far wrong. Hopefully, and um, I I was really fascinated to hear um, from your unique position, Jan. Just the um, there's been such a buzz around around Metaverse, its capability, what the hell it is, etc. Cetera, et cetera, But would you say that that's been um? Would you say that that's directly related AR and like really helping AR becoming more mainstream? What's your what's your, what's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, so the the metaverse is this beautiful buzzword that's been appearing very heavily over the past twelve months. It's really interesting because prior to that metaverse hype, you know, I have spoken on stage, I've spoken on, you know, global uh, TV channels about the future of the way we all compute as a society and, and and you know, prior to then it was often, you know, kind of viewed as, yeah, and that's a that's a really cool idea, but I just don't get it. I just don't get how we'll ever get to that stage as, as human beings. That's a pipe dream. And since, since the metaverse has come up, everyone, everyone's now flooding the inbox saying, ooh, you're, you're doing metaverse, right? That's really exciting. Like, yeah, I talked to you last year and you, you didn't get it. So, so it's, it's great for the industry. It's, it's really creating this kind of shift in, in kind of the public's knowledge of, of kind of what technologies are out there to kind of improve the way that we interact. Um, but really, uh, this metaverse hype cycle has been, it's been heavily pushed by a, c- a couple of technology companies that are very invested in the space. Um, there's obviously Mark Zuckerberg changed the name of Facebook to meta and, uh, he's been probably the most vocal about, uh, the metaverse and it's, it's, it's no coincidence. And I would do the same in his shoes, you know, that he, he has a, almost a, a not, not a complete monopoly, but he has it, has it heavy monopoly on virtual reality you know 90 percent of the headsets out there are are facebook's oculus or meta's oculus headsets so um so the narrative of the the metaverse has very heavily been been on virtual worlds virtual reality you know it's like a gaming environment and everyone can like port in using their headsets uh because most of the uh the companies out there that are heavily invested in the metaverse have invested first in virtual reality so, so it's a very big incentive for the general population to think, oh, the metaverse is, you know, these little cartoon characters running around these worlds and checking in on Snoop Dogg's house, uh, in, in sandbox, which is, you know, this, this kind of virtual, virtual world of land where, where everyone's bought little plots of virtual land or are building things on them. But really the metaverse is essentially kind of this new paradigm for the way that we as humans we interact with technology will interact with experiences and data Uh, and the metaverse is kind of this this big ecosystem that will be virtual reality it will be augmented reality and i'll I'll tell you why i'm so excited about augmented reality Uh, in a second it'll it'll be things like nfts that that are able to provide uh, proof of ownership in digital assets in in the way that we interact with experiences and data going forwards uh, it'll be cryptocurrencies as a way to quickly, you know, uh, make transactions. It makes no sense if you're, if you're in a digital space to, to buy something, have that ping through a financial system to a bank and then ping back through a financial system back into, um, you know, the digital realm. Why not just do it all on, on, on the blockchain? Uh, and there'll be things like, you know, AI and, 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 and all sorts of different, you know, new and exciting technologies that will come in. Uh, to power, um, these virtual worlds. So, so basically the metaverse is this, this entire, it's like this entire universe. Uh, and right now, kind of the public perception is that it's these cool little, cool little worlds, but th- there, there's a number of worlds out there. There's, there's a Facebook horizon, there's sandboxes, decentraland, there's all sorts of different worlds popping up. But the most exciting world, uh, and this goes back to kind of the premise of what we're doing at Beam. Uh, in, in creating the most exciting, uh, the the most um, the most credible experience, the exciting world will always psycho- psychologically remain our own world. This physical earth that we've that we've grown up on, and that our ancestors have grown up on, that's the ex- most exciting metaverse because it's the most high fidelity out there. Like, give, give me a, give me tell me tell me that Google can create a, a more high fidelity um, uh, metaverse than the world that already exists. And, and so what augmented reality does, is it allows us to unlock our own planet, our own world as our metaverse. So you know, in the same way that we beam a digital human into your, into your actual living room, the augmented reality metaverse is, is our world overlaid with the data that we require. Let's say you want to see Tuesday's weather. Actually, I actually have a headset here. Uh we have we have a couple of uh, partners with headsets. Here's is an early stage augmented reality uh glasses. You could put these glasses on, look up at the sky, uh, and say, show me show me next week's weather. And the sky would transition to next week's weather. You're like, okay, great. You you're walking down the street and you're like, show me where Sainsbury's is, or show me where um, you know, show me where the grocery store is. Uh and you know, down the street you'd see the arrows on the on the footpath that you know lead you to that, to that storefront. That's actually already available in Google Maps right now. Uh, in most of the world, so you can actually already use augmented reality. So you already have access to our own metaverse, the world um, today. Uh, and so that's that, that that's kind of where technology is going. Um, you know, the ability for you to you know, you know, beam your professor from university into your space, uh, to beam Justin Bieber into your living room for a concert um, is uh, is something that we can already do. Um, but but that that metaverse is the most exciting uh, and. Uh, anyone that says virtual reality in these little virtual gaming worlds are the most exciting thing, uh, either have a stake in ensuring that's commercialized first. Yeah. And like, oops. Oh, actually, I'm going to tell the public about this as well. Or, or like they, they, they don't quite understand, you know, where we're going as a society and, and our augmented reality metaverse, our own world, uh, is it's inevitable. It's psychologically inevitable that that will be. The primary way for us to to interoperate with with data and experiences and technology, because of uh, the concept of human centered design. So we're we're striving with technology to to go full circle in tech because in tech we we believed we could reinvent the wheel psychologically in tech we believe we could you know create square boxes and have all the data and information in there and that was the best way to do it. But what we've been realizing um, is that. Uh, if we replicate the way that we as human beings have done things for thousands of years, then psychologically, that's the most effective for us as humanity. That's why Siri and Alexa um, are becoming so prevalent is because we're used to talking to things. We're not used to typing something in uh, and, and getting an answer and then having to read it. We're used to saying, hey, can you tell me about this? And then that other person says, yeah, actually, I can tell you a lot about that. Let me let me let me talk to you about it. That's what that's why that's why we have voice activation right now. And and that's just the beginning. That's just like the the, the primary school of human centered design, where at one point you know we just interact with the world around us and data and technology in the same way that we've interacted with objects and people for thousands and thousands of years. It's just the most psychologically effective way to to experience technology. It makes no sense uh, to even even though this is you know the biggest the biggest invention of a generation. This is this is preschool in terms of the ability for us to to really truly. Uh, interact with with tech uh, in the most effective way so that that that's basically that that whole round of premise of the, of the metaverse that a lot of people aren't talking about because there's a lot of you know, vested interest in vr yeah. and, and buy my digital land and buy my nft and and yeah so so we'll see over kind of the course of probably the next one two three years of this kind of public perception of the metaverse kind of shifting into this more kind of rounded knowledge of of where we're actually going technologically
0: no, it's great, and I think again for for someone like myself that is involved in the sector but yet won't, you know, isn't creating something in the space like you are and with your unique background and everything else, it's so fascinating to hear. And as you say, you you read on the things that the companies that have got the vested interest want to talk about, but the reality is, I mean, the the, the biggest thing that's jumped out from what you've been saying there is just feel, feels like there's limitless potential to what it could be in so many different guises and. And, and, and as you say, I've, I've got three young daughters and I've, I'd imagine by the time they're hitting kind of secondary school age and high school age, like the world and the way of learning could be in such a different way compared to, compared to what it is right now. And I think if it's done well, it could be phenomenally exciting, couldn't it? So it's, uh, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been so interesting hearing your, hearing your take on that, Jan, it really has been. Absolutely. And, and like the,
1: the thing to note is that we're, we're accelerating so fast with technology. So fast. Um, and our adoption of technology is also uh, accelerating as well. There's this, there's this, um, this is, uh, this, this paradigm between the speed of technology created and the speed at which the general public or we as human beings, um, are comfortable with adopting new technology. Uh, and there's a limit to how comfortable we are with adopting new technology. There's been a couple of cases where technology has been too early and, and we've had this massive pushback, but, but yeah, so th- these, Right now, kind of, we're at the early phases of this metaverse and the, the companies invested in the metaverse are looking at where, where like the easiest segues for us as human beings to start adopting, uh, and understanding this new paradigm. And that's been primarily kind of gaming. You know, there's an easy shift into gaming, uh, from, from a, from a knowledge standpoint. The shift into like, um, uh, like shopping and like virtual experience entertainment. We already have that feel good uh, nature towards it. So you, so you can, you're, you're more willing to open up to something that's different and new, uh, cause we're often scared of things that are different and new, uh, and, and so, yeah, so we'll see in the, in the kind of, in the coming months and years, we'll see this kind of, this gradual kind of, uh, expanding of the knowledge box or expanding of the comfort zone for us, uh, as a society into, into this metaverse. You know, I, I remember the iPhone wasn't even released yet when, when I left high school, uh and when around, around about that time there was when I when I first went into commodities, people were were still talking about, you know, I'm not comfortable with having emails on my phone because, you know, I don't want to take the office with me in my pocket. And what if my phone gets stolen and you know I lose my job because everyone's got my data? Uh, and that's the most incredibly ridiculous thing to talk about right now and, and to think about that, you know, just a little over ten years ago, people were resistant to having emails on their phone people were laughing at bill gates in the in the mid 90s about the internet um, and saying you know, the internet is the most ridiculous and dangerous and scary thing i can i can receive an email unsolicited um, and i have to receive it in my inbox like that's crazy so yeah so we'll we'll see this we'll see this kind of this gradual adoption uh, and the speed of this adoption will be the speed at which we as a society are comfortable with adopting it and and, and big tech companies are very good at this Uh, They're very good at kind of, uh, gauging the speed of adoption and making sure that we are comfortable with what's coming. And and that, that's, there's this kind of fine line, but, but technology is much faster. We have, we have so so much more great tech in the vaults and in, in, in the, in the research (laughs) and development rooms across the board, across Apple, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, you know, all all these big tech companies, they've got amazing technology in the vaults. It's just trying to pinpoint, you know, how, how fast can we roll this out? Uh, in a way that you know, we 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 can roll it out in a way that it's accepted.
0: Yeah, the, the, he'll roll it in a way that the world is ready for.
1: <laughs> um,
0: yeah, no, yeah, fac- absolutely fascinating. I'd, I could I could carry on talking about this for hours. But um, one of the things I love to ask everyone because it's, it's it's fairly common. There are some people that have come on and said that actually they. They don't do any, you know, reading or anything uh, in relation to work-related stuff. But they they love a good novel because it helps their brain <laughs> be creative or it helps a bit of escape or whatever it may be. But has there been a best book, podcast, or movie that you'd recommend that you've taken some long-lasting learns from yet? My my
1: biggest challenge as an individual is my my head is always in the clouds. My head is always you know two years ahead uh, of where I am right now, Uh and that's that's something that's you know great to be able to kind of try and pinpoint where we're going as a society technologically and try and steer the business in that direction but what i've often found is is a challenging thing for me to do and as a founder it's almost impossible to switch off is um appreciate the here and now uh and you know as a founder of especially of kind of an early stage business and in, in kind of frontier technology you have a very bipolar lifestyle because you have massive ups and you have massive downs and you have to try and figure out a way to, to remain grounded and calm in, in all circumstances. Um, as, as sad as it sounds, I, I often bank some of the wins for the times when we're down, uh, so uh, so I have some energy uh, for uh, for kind of weathering those, those periods. Uh, and so a book that I have actually on my bedside table, I've had on my bedside table for over a year, is Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And I've never read it start to finish what I've done is I've always picked, picked a point in the book and it's been ad hoc. It's you open a page uh, and I've definitely read the whole book multiple times by doing this, but you you pick a point when you feel like you can't switch off or you need to be more grounded. You need to need to make sure that you're here and you just read a chapter. Uh, And that's been an amazing tool for me. It's, it's, it's it's actually better than meditation is, is simply to read a chapter of, Eckhart Tolle's incredibly cryptic and incredibly vague uh, interpretation of how the world works but it really really great insight into how to appreciate the power of being here now and distancing yourself from emotion uh, as as cold as that seems if you if you've read power of now you'll agree with me that's a really really important trade in 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 what Eckhart Tolle preaches is how do you how do you stay in the here and now uh and uh, and you know remain uh, outside of your own
0: uh, consciousness and your own mind, I haven't done it. I will be doing it now. Sounds pretty fascinating to me, and I'm a big fan of uh, of books. Books that, as you say, you can do a chapter here, chapter there, depending on where you're at at that particular time. That sounds fascinating. So I'll be I'll be sure to check that out. Um, Jan, it's been so good speaking to you, and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and your, your leadership learns with us today. Um, I'm sure there'll be lots that's resonated with listeners, and like me, they'll be taking away some valuable ideas and, 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 and thoughts that they're going to be um, that they're going to be exploring more from now on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five star rating and share with others in your network. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.